Well, good evening, everybody. It's Chris here from the Whistle Stop Cafe in Mira, Alberta. And let me just change the background because it looks weird. There we go. So uh, for those of you that don't know, I took that picture at a UCP event at Track on 2 in Lacombe. And uh, I attended that event where Premier Jason Kenny was because not I didn't want to you know be rude or whatever. I, I actually just wanted to meet the guy, shake his hand, and say thanks for your service to our province, and nothing else, because I think that would have that would have probably been enough. Anyway, uh, he he wouldn't meet me. I stood in lines, shake his hand, and every time I got to the front of the line, his his goons whisked him away. And as you can see. One of his goons was looking back at me with a very unpleasant, very unpleasant look. And uh, I, I love that picture. It's it's nice to know that Jason Kenny knew who I was uh, throughout all that stuff when he was telling the CMOH to lock my business down and chain the doors uh, and taking that authority illegally. Anyhow, bygones. No, not really. We're going to sue them. Anywho, uh, there's uh, some very important things going on in the province right now. As many of you may know, we have a government that has used words like Alberta sovereignty. And you might be asking, well, Chris, what does sovereignty mean? And as I posted in the description of this live, um, being sovereign just basically means you're free to chart your own course. You decide what to do. You decide how you're going to how you're going to live. You shape the rules of society uh, in society's best interest. That's what we want for Alberta. Um, independence may very well be a tool uh, that we need to use to be sovereign because uh, being sovereign and, and standing up for yourself and doing your own thing is very important. And we're going to discuss that tonight regarding the Canada Pension Plan and the proposed Alberta Pension Plan. So the government back in 2020, they commissioned a third party company to look into um, uh, an Alberta pension plan and how it would look for Alberta. And the report is, uh, it's, it's pretty fancy. It's pretty nice. It looks like this is going to be an absolutely great thing for Alberta. This is just one of many areas in which Alberta is already constitutionally sovereign. We have the right to manage our own pension plan. And the numbers that we're seeing tell a very, very interesting story. It says, when you take back the things that you're supposed to be doing and you do it yourself so that it's in your best interest, it's better for you. And that's what this shows. So I wanted to get somebody who is much smarter and more knowledgeable on economics than I am. And uh, somebody who also knows about uh, the, con the conversation about independence and Alberta sovereignty and that sort of thing. So who better to reach out for that than our friend, friend, Tanner Naday. So I would like to welcome to the Chris Sands Carey show because Carey is busy tonight. Uh, Mr. Tanner Naday, who is uh, an economist amongst other things. Welcome, Tanner. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Government's giving us so much to talk about. Oh my goodness. <laughs> you, you don't need writers. You don't no. need sitcoms. <laughs> All you got to do is talk about current events. Yes. And it's like, it's the most dramatic thing you can possibly uh, deal with these days. So, yes, it's exactly right. Yeah, it's wonderful for people like us. It is. Oh, it's like 
It's like um, watching a perpetual soap opera. That's what it feels like. It's never ending. Yes, it's been a lot of Absolutely. fun. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I would say for far too long, Alberta's sat on the sidelines and we've watched the federal government run the show. We've watched them um, choose our path for us. And, you know, it hasn't gone very well for the West, for all of the West, as a matter of fact, not just Alberta. Um, you know, we, and it, it's kind of sad because we can vote the entire entirety of Western Canada will be blue. We, we vote conservative governments and the East elects a liberal government and they take us down whatever path they want, kicking and screaming. And there's really very little we can do, or we thought there was very little we can do. Um, one of the things that we've realized, including some of the people in government, is that if we start taking back some of the things that we have a right to do on our own in the first place, that tips the balance of power and allows Alberta to be prosperous and would allow British Columbia and Saskatchewan to be prosperous as well. One of those things is the Alberta pension plan. And I'm I'm certain that you've heard about it because I think I actually, I think I watched a show you did about it. What's your, uh, what's your take on this? Yes. Oh, well, firstly, you're exactly correct that over the past however many years, Alberta hasn't exercised significant um, muscle in confederation. And it's time to do so, particularly with economics, right? Alberta is an economic engine. It's not only an economic engine of Canada, it's an economic engine of North America, of the West, right? We are a, a massive producer of oil and, of course, farming and all of these other goods and services and industry, et cetera, et cetera. And so we have the ability and we have the right and the reason to, as far as I'm concerned, exercise that power and enjoy more autonomy and independence from not only Canada, but from the influence of organizations and other uh, groups and individuals from around the world. So with regard to the pension plan, my, my, my answer as to whether or not it's a desirable thing is simple, right? The answer is if we as a province, if we as individuals can become more autonomous from the federal government, from Ottawa, from the East, where the interests of the Laurentian elite are not congruent to our own, we should do it. We have to do it. And that Absolutely. includes the pension plan, right? So if you can, by creating your own Alberta pension plan, become more independent from the control of the federal government, then it's a policy that we ought to and have to pursue. I think last time I was on your show, I talked about this. I talked about an essay by C.S. Lewis called Willing Slaves of the Welfare State. And in that essay, he describes how man can't really be independent and therefore he can't really be free unless he also at the same time exercises economic independence. If he has no economic independence, he can't truly be, uh, be free because no one bites the hand that feeds him, let alone the, hands that, or let alone the hand that feeds and clothes and houses, et cetera, et cetera. Him. So by creating your own pension plan, Alberta is becoming more economically independent from the federal government. And therefore, the federal government would be able to exercise less power over Alberta, which is an excellent thing. That's desirable. Not for the feds, of course, not for Ottawa, but for us. It is. And I want to remind everybody, these are things that we, there's a reason, there's a reason why Canada was set up the way it was. Canada was set up as a confederation, not a federation. And the reason for that is because our, our, the, the founders of our, our cooperative land, they realized that if you allowed uh, the different provinces, territories, and colonies to 
to chart their own course and, you know, promote their own values and get along and just agree that everyone can do that. It's better for us. It was intended to be that way. The constitution is literally written that way. There's, there's five major areas within the constitution where Alberta has sovereign jurisdiction over that we have given over to the federal government to manage. CPP, the, the pension plan is just one of them. Now, the uh, actually, you know what, Tanner? I, I totally forgot. I, I queued up the Alberta government video they did about the Alberta pension plan. And I'd like to play that. I was going to play it as the intro, but I'll play it right now if that's all right. Do you mind? Sure, you bet. Okay, so folks, check this out. This is a little blurb that the Alberta government put out explaining their uh, views on the pension plan and what Alberta should be doing. So here we go. And that button. Alberta's government is exploring a new possibility, an Alberta pension plan, or APP for short. You might be wondering, what's in it for you? You see, in 2020, Alberta's government commissioned LifeWorks, an independent third-party consultant, to review the potential for an Alberta pension plan. Their analysis found many benefits for Albertans. That's because Alberta's young working population and more jobs with higher wages has resulted in Albertans over-contributing tens of billions into the CPP compared to the benefits we've received. This means that Albertans could save over $5 billion in just the first year if we moved from the CPP to an Alberta pension plan. These savings could increase each senior's monthly pension payment or even provide a large bonus payment for seniors at retirement. Or, these savings could be used to save Alberta workers up to $1,425 in payroll deductions every year. That would be nice. And if you're a business owner, small, medium, or large, an APP could reduce the premiums you pay each year by up to $1,425 per employee. Along with more money in your pocket, an APP would be more stable than the current CPP. An asset transfer of over $300 billion from the CPP to an APP would mean a more secure pension for Albertans. And agreements would be developed to allow Albertans to move throughout Canada without impacting their pension benefits. To be clear, there will be no move to an Alberta pension plan unless Albertans approve it in a referendum. It's your pension, your choice. So learn more and have your say at albertapensionplan.ca. So that was a little blurb from the government kind of explaining uh, what, what they're talking about and what we're looking at. And it doesn't get into too much detail, but it does talk a little bit about the numbers. One of the numbers that I found interesting was uh, the over-contribution. Now, APP, the Alberta Prosperity Project, not the Alberta Pension Plan, uh, just coincidentally, it's the same initials. The Alberta Prosperity Project, uh, we speak about this, we've been speaking about this for well, almost since the very beginning. And the over-contribution that we have calculated is about $3 billion per year. That's a big, big chunk of change. So uh, first of all, Tanner, uh, do you mind answering Marilyn's question? I know you know the answer. And then sure. uh, let's talk about that over-contribution. Yeah, so to Marilyn's question, if people are currently getting a CCPD, the disability pension, will they still get their pension? The answer is yes. And that also includes the CPP as well. Like once you've paid into the pension, you've paid into the pension and you receive that pension, you know, even if you're, even if you've moved to America or who knows what, right, you've paid into um, 
the pension plan. So, so the answer is, is yes. Now with regards to the question about numbers. Yeah. Um, between 2009 and 2017, this is a study from Fraser Institute, uh, Alberta over contributed or disproportionately contributed is probably a more accurate term. Um, somewhere in the line of, you know, 27, 28 billion, which adds up to about 3 billion ish dollars per year. Now that might've increased of course, as the, as the, um, years go by, but but the point is the numbers on that on that Alberta video are accurate. You can't quite say that Alberta um, over contributes, even though it does. Just for semantics, it's more like disproportionately contributes. What I mean to say is the reason we're paying so much more into the CPP versus what we're receiving is just as a as just a consequence of the way it's been set up. That is, Alberta's younger, like you know, on the whole compared to other provinces. Alberta's richer compared to other provinces and Alberta earns more than other provinces. And so we don't have as many individuals earning CPP. We have higher contribution rates because we have uh, more wealth in this in this province and we have more people per capita contributing. So all of those things factor into this excess payment that Alberta gives to to the CPP every single year, which obviously would be eliminated if you had your own Alberta pension plan, right? Because then it would be staying in the province itself. The whole idea of overfunding would be um, would be annihilated. So where does that where does that extra money that we contribute that we don't receive go? Oh yeah. So okay. So the Canadian pension plan is what's called a pay as you go system, or it's primarily a pay as you go system, and it means simply this: if you know if uh, Canadians inject. For we'll use you know for ease of math we'll use simple numbers. If Canadians inject ten billion dollars into the Canadian pension plan, say nine point five billion of those ten billion dollars goes back to the Canadians earning their pension. Does that make sense? So what people pay into the pension every year basically flows out to people who are receiving their pension. It's just uh, the people who paid this year are funding the people who are receiving this year, if that makes sense. And so the, the the fund itself, although it saves a little bit of money and invests money, is mostly um, a system where what is received for the year is almost immediately paid out to those who are earning their pensions. So that doesn't seem that doesn't seem like a very good uh, idea to me. Like when I when I think about pension plans and retirement and those types of things, uh, I think I think of investments. I think that if we're funding a, a pension plan, the pension should be investing it and get earning a return on it so that it can continue to be sustainable. You know, yeah. like the idea that it's a, just a revolving door for money, it doesn't make much sense to me, especially considering that uh, off the top of that, I imagine there's some pretty hefty administration. There's a, probably a fairly bloated bureaucracy managing it. And I don't <laughs> think they earn uh, a small amount of money. So unless we're investing that, we're doing it wisely and we're doing it in our best interest and not investing in uh, XYZ company because they build solar panels, you know, um, could that change if Alberta managed their own? Because I know the CPP has an investment board. It just seems like they don't invest much. Right. Yeah, it's a good point to make. So the purpose of a pension is twofold, right? First is to earn the pensioner money. That's the first objective, obviously. And the second target is to ensure that the pension is there when you, the pensioner, uh, are ready for your money. <laughs> Those are the two prime targets of a pension plan. And the CPP, to be honest, doesn't either. Insofar as if you look at what the 
you can look at the Canadian Pension Plan Board, the investing board, and you can see some of the things that they're investing in. And they're, of course, investing in green technologies and carbon technologies, et cetera, et cetera, just because they're planning for this green future. Again, that isn't the mindset to have if your objective is to earn the pension or money. Maybe those investments do earn money. I doubt it, but maybe they do. Who knows? What I'm saying is it shouldn't be on your website, this statement that says, well, we're you know planning for a green future. We want to uh, be harbingers of a green future. And so we're investing in this particular asset or what might be for that reason. It's the wrong reason to be in a pension plan. And then- we should be investing in the pensioners' futures. Right, right, precisely. We want to earn the highest, or pensioners want to earn the highest reward on their investment, while at the same time managing risk. So, you know, I can I can go to a casino if I was a gambler and put all my money on black or something, right? But that would be foolish. It's a, It's an incredibly high risk Maybe a high reward, but an exceptionally high risk. So the point of the pension then is to try and balance that out, risk and and reward. And when you look at the returns on the Canadian pension plan, they're at best modest. And when you calculate inflation into the equation, they become poor, right? The, the returns on investment for Canadians who have been forced to put their income or part of their income, part of their paychecks into the Canadian pension plan is, well, it's dismal. It's very poor. Very poor. So if if we were, it's it's interesting that, you know, we talk about sovereignty quite a bit in, in the perspective of a province and individually. So individually uh, and, and as a society, we've kind of said, hey, you know what, we're going to give up our, our sovereign right to deal with our own money. And we're going to agree as a, as a society to fund this pension plan and uh, hope that it, it goes well. If it was an individual doing this, like for my retirement savings plans that I used to have and I know I no longer have, uh, I watched them very closely. And if they weren't getting me a return, I'd have a uh, talk with my financial advisor and mm-hmm. say, listen, man, you know, this isn't making me a return and uh, I'm not interested in putting my money in something that's not going to make me money. So let's change things up. And I believe that if if we're going to defer our sovereign right to our own money, to any government or third party with a, with a pension plan or whatever, we should also be holding them accountable and making sure that our, our money is being invested wisely. So the question I have, and, and sorry, folks, I'm going to go back through and get your questions as well. But the question I have is, um, what, what mechanism do we have as Canadians, as contributors to the pension plan, if we don't think the pension plan is being managed effectively into our best interest? Yeah, very little. Very, and that's, and that's, you've, you've really... Um, touched a specific point that's worth mentioning, right? We have so little control. We have no control over what the uh, you know fund managers are investing in, uh, what they're doing, and what the government's doing with regards to the pension itself. You've been forced into this system, and when again, when you look at the returns of the CPP, it is almost certain that you, as an individual, could have taken that money instead, the money that you earned, and invested it in your own fund. And you would have fared far better, far better than what the CPP um, has achieved in its how many decades of existence. So just before this, you talked about how, you know, this system doesn't make much sense. And you're quite right. It doesn't unless you're a government. And part of your job as a government is to control as many people as possible. Like you have all of these seniors, all of these individuals who rely on the CPP to meet their needs, especially as inflation continues to crush 
especially as inflation is searing hot. At the present time, groceries are expensive, fuel is expensive, housing is expensive, and so on and so on. And so by by controlling all of these people's income, you know, or at least a good portion of their income, you in essence control the man. And so the power that that this plan gives government is substantial. That's the reason for its imposition. Of course, they'll say, well, we want to protect all Canadians. Well, of course, we want to provide for all Canadians and make sure, you know, they have a, a livable wage and so on. There, those are secondary, uh, uh, secondary consequences, right? The, the first idea, the reason for the plan is to simply control more people without a doubt. That's the way governments used it in the past. That's the way they're using it now. And they're going to try and do that in the future. I'm going to bring this page up again. Now, this is the uh, this is a government web page about this. So let's bring this up. So at the bottom of this page, now I found this at albertapensionplan.ca. And at the bottom, I found this cool little thing. It says, have your say. So when you click on that link, it takes you to a... Oh. Oh, okay. So I clicked on the link, but it opened a different tab. Anyway, when you click on that link, uh, this link here, it's going to bring you to a survey and it asks you about <clears throat> an, an Alberta pension plan and what you want to see. So Tanner brought up a very good point there, how a government can use a pension plan to control people. We have millions of pensioners across this country and very quickly, they're going to be made very fearful of an Alberta pension plan. The Canadian government... Uh, the Liberal Party, the NDP, they're going to start an attack and they're going to try and scare pensioners into speaking out against Alberta having a pension plan. They want the control. Now, could that happen with an Alberta pension plan? Of course it could. The difference is, if we're going to do something different, we need to do something better. And the way we can do something better is by having our say, like that link said. You know, if we if we're going to set up a Alberta pension plan, we need to make it accountable to Albertans. We need to make it. Oh, pardon me. Uh, we need to have a say in how it's directed, and we can do that within our own province because our voices, you know, our voices are heard here. In the in the scope of the federal government, our voices aren't heard because even if we elect every single MP in this province, uh, uh, a conservative or whatever. Uh, it doesn't matter. Their their voices are just drowned out by the East. So I know there are people out there that are going to say, well, an Alberta pension plan could be the same. And and it may very well be the same if we don't get involved and uh, and pay attention and use our voices. Very similar to what we're seeing in government right now. And where did that question go? Uh, there it is. So Rod says, what happens when you retire at 65, get your CPP, die? Then what happens to all you and your employer invested in the CPP? Why don't your kids or family get that pension back? We paid into it. We should get it back. You're right. We should, but we don't. And it's nonsense. Again, the government is strapped right now for cash, particularly with the pension. They need every cent they have because they're so wasteful and they're so inefficient. And so you're right. Suppose, you know... Um, you and your wife are living in an old age and your wife dies or you die. And you would expect that your spouse, your widow or widower would, would receive the payout of your pension that you've paid into over the years, but you don't, that isn't how it works. And it's nonsense. Because the money's not there. Because the money's not there in large part. 
And so, uh, you know, that's just transferred to someone else. And, you know, here we have the boomer generation now going into retirement. So if we thought the government was strapped before, just wait, like just <laughs> just buckle up here in the next, you know, five, 10 years, then you'll see how desperate government really becomes, right? Because you'll have so many more people beginning to collect their pensions. So it's, a, it's an excellent comment. Rod is exactly right. And this is something that we could fix with an Alberta pension plan. Yes, you could. Absolutely, you could. And I don't know, you know, that would have to be discussed after, but but you certainly could. The, the main highlights of the pension plan, of the Alberta pension plan are one, like you mentioned, government becomes decentralized or the plan itself becomes decentralized. And so it's easier. It's not, I'm not saying it's easy. I'm saying it's easier. It's far easier to hold government to account for what it's doing because we're so much closer than right to the actual bureaucracy. It's not thousands of kilometers away in Ottawa. It's right here in Alberta. The actual contribution rates, if you want to receive the same benefits that we are right now, can be cut in half in large part, again, because um, the bureaucracy would be nowhere near as large and and you wouldn't have to overfund or disproportionately fund by three to five, whatever it might be, billion per year. And, and the actual structure of the plan, the investments, uh, what the managers are in, like investing in and so on, could be much different. And so there are a whole host of benefits that accrue if Alberta decides to switch to to an Alberta pension plan. And to be entirely honest, like the strongest argument I've heard against a pension plan is that it might not, maybe it might not be as stable as the Canadian pension plan. I don't think it's that's a pretty low bar. I, it is a low bar. That's exactly right. Yes. And, you know, I was looking, I was scouring for any sort of argument against the pension plan that I could find. And there are, of course, things saying we have a duty to, you know, uh, uh, keep the Confederation together and help out our fellow citizens. But it's like, uh, yes. you know, if you have to, if you have to disproportionately fund by $3 billion, if the government is that inefficient, if the program itself is that inefficient, if it doesn't work, like it's not, you know, it's not working at all, then it doesn't deserve to survive, right? It's like, who's it, Kant? Is it Kant who said, you know, if it, if the truth kills it, let it die. I believe that wholeheartedly. Like, why, why, why would Alberta continue to disproportionately fund at such massive rates when costs are so high at the present time, when it's so difficult to afford to live and yet receive so little, or at least compared to what they're giving or what we're giving in return? I think it's nonsense. And I think the government has a responsibility. The Alberta government has a responsibility first and foremost to the people of Alberta. And that includes instituting a new pension plan. And, you know, you could even go farther. This is a good start. You know, I would actually, I don't know, I don't know how politically possible it is, but if it were up to me, I would say, let give Albertans a choice whether or not they want to uh, invest in the Alberta pension plan. You know, who's to say that you as an individual couldn't just take that money that would otherwise go to a government pension plan and invest it yourself and do far better than what the government would do. Who knows? But that's a different topic for, for another conversation. And that's a perfect segue into something that I want to speak about. So you mentioned duty. Mm. Um, let's, let's, let's think about another province that is a, probably a net recipient. Um, I guess uh, Newfoundland and Labrador they are, I believe, most of the Atlantic provinces are as well. Mm -hmm. Now, why is that? Why is it that Alberta is so prosperous and the Atlantic provinces aren't? 
Is it because the government isn't taking enough of our money and giving it to them? Is it because we're not doing our duty within Confederation and, and sending them money to balance it out? I would argue that the reason for that inequity is that we haven't done our duty to stand up and speak the truth about the real reason why there's that inequity across the provinces. Newfoundland has huge gas reserves, huge. They could be an energy superpower in, in themselves, right? But instead, they vilify their energy industry. They pursue these ideologies that, as Tanner has pointed out, eventually will slap them in the face. And they depend on Alberta being prosperous by, by doing the things we're doing that they don't do. So, you know, if you, if you are upset that there's an inequality, maybe you should first look at uh, your ability to generate that kind of revenue in the first place. Why does Newfoundland have Newfies flying out here and flocking to Alberta? Well, because they can come out here and be prosperous because we develop our energy. Well, if they develop their energy, they would retain more young people. They would have increased wealth. Business was, would be doing better and they would be contributing um, to their pension plan and uh, or, or pardon me, they they wouldn't they wouldn't have to have so many people relying on government handouts to survive. So I I would argue that our duty is to stand up and say enough is enough. We're not going to support this nonsense where we allow virtue signaling idiots to destroy other provinces and then we just continue to to foot the bill and call it duty. No. Our, our duty is completely to the contrary. It's it's actually to maybe grab them by the collar, give them a couple of these and say, what are you doing? You can be prosperous on your own. You don't need to depend on uh, other provinces. That's, that's mm -hmm. my little rant about that. And yeah, you find that whenever government calls on you to invoke your duty to your fellow citizens, it always means more socialism. It always means yep. more re redistribution of wealth. It always yeah. means more government control. It always means more bureaucratic power. Always, always, always. It's never uh, do your duty to your family first, the individual first, the community first. It's always the country as a whole so that all of these massive programs, equalization, a huge pension plan, redistribution, et cetera, et cetera, can be justified in the name of helping out your fellow citizens. You know, I don't understand when, well, I don't know when all of a sudden these programs became virtuous, but government acts like they are. And if a man decides to argue against them, you know, he's labeled selfish or he's labeled, uh, you know, greedy or who knows what it might be, a capitalist oppressor. When in reality, it's nonsense, right? That's simply not true. It's just that you have the greatest amount of uh, freedom. You have the greatest amount of flourishing if you pursue free market policies. If you make government as small as it can be, like changing from a Canadian pension plan to an Alberta pension plan, and by enabling the greatest production of wealth possible. The way you do so is by making government smaller. And one of the ways to make government smaller is to emancipate yourself from a, from a federal pension plan. And if you're going to institute a new one, have it be a provincial one. Yeah, you're exactly right. Bingo. So the Atlantic provinces, you know, they they are likely, they're very likely going to be upset that Alberta is considering withdrawing mm. from the pension plan because um, what that report says, and I don't know, I'm sure there's going to be an, another side to this conversation, but they say $384 billion. That's the, that's the size of the asset that Alberta has a right to or reported right to 
within the CPP. That's a huge number. The Atlantic provinces are not going to like this because that would decimate the CPP to the point where they would have to subsidize their pensioners. It would no longer be viable for their pensioners to receive the money they do now with that much of the asset gone. That's almost 50% of the asset. But my question to them is, if you don't like governments mismanaging money and telling you that you uh, are virtuous for um, for for castrating yourself economically, why do you keep electing liberal governments? Why do you keep electing governments that stifle your economy, imply, Im impose carbon taxes on you, raise your taxes, um, take away your prosperity, and then expect other provinces to just cover the bill? Maybe you need to consider electing a fiscally responsible government um, to, to deal with some of these things in your own backyard first. That's what I would say. And I know I'm going to take a lot of heat for it, but at some point we got to stand up as a province and we got to, we got to be a leaders and set the example as to how these other provinces get out, can get out from under the boot of a virtue signaling fairy tale ideology following federal government. Otherwise cool. it's not going to happen. Yeah, that's a good line. It's precisely correct. There is nothing sinful or wrong for Albertans wanting to generate the highest quality of life in Alberta first. Again, there is nothing wrong with the Alberta government focusing on the people of Alberta. That's its purpose. That's its job. And then you have big federal government or big government that says, well, you're being, uh, what would they call that? You know, supremacist or something ridiculous along those lines. And it's utter nonsense. Because we know that the government, the big government, the federal government, and other governments in general, have this desire, right, in essence, to, uh, to completely remove borders from a nation and instead make it into one massive super state so that they can exercise, again, as much control as possible. That is the end game. Government is so hungry for power. Government wants as much power as it can conquer. It will lie. It will cheat. It will steal. It will do anything and everything to gain even a morsel more of control than what it had yesterday. That's its objective. That's its aim. And so you and I as citizens and your and your audience, here we have a responsibility. Here we have a, a you know, we have a, a duty to try and keep government as small as possible. It's like you and I are holding the chains, right? And government's this massive monster that wants to break free. But we have a, we have here a, a job to hold them back as tightly as we can to try and restrain it as much as possible. Because in a moment, right, that that Hydra can grow into something unconquerable. And by then it's too late. So again, I, you know, this this pension plan, like you're saying, it's it's a it's a step towards making government smaller on the whole, right? On the whole, which is which is what we're what we desire. I agree. So here's a here's a big question. We, we were never, Canada was never intended to have a federal government that had a ton of power. Like you and I both know yeah. this, Tanner. For those of you that are watching, maybe you're not aware, the way our constitution is set up, the federal government has very, very little power. Um, they are responsible for international trade, currency, a military, some other, some other things. But for the most part, the provinces are sovereign in almost every area that matters. So here's my, my question to you, Tanner. What happened? Why are the provinces so willing to give up their sovereignty and allow the federal government to become this, this gargantuan monster that's just gobbling up our resources 
and taking away all of our ability to chart our own course for course forward. What the heck happened? That's a brilliant question. Well, I again would place the blame not on the people of the provinces, you know, not on the farmers, not on the industry workers, not on the on the, uh, you know, small business owners and so on of the province. But again, on government, money speaks volumes, um, new programs speak volumes, um, you know, increasing influence from the federal government in exchange for this or that can be very lucrative for even a few leaders. And again, the problem with government is it it doesn't take long at all for them to one day wake up and have so much more power than what they had the day before. So for example, income tax, right? When income tax was introduced in the country, in the country of Canada, think of the difference in the power that was granted to the federal government that day versus what they had before. Or a central bank. You know, when you have a centralized currency system, think of the power that Ottawa exercised or began to exercise the day that central bank uh, was instituted in the nation. Because you have had now for, oh, how many decades? Decades and decades and decades, a gradual centralization of power in Ottawa for whatever reason, whether it's provinces agreeing to it for fear of being chastised, whether it's because of some backdoor deals made by two, by a premier and a prime minister, or who knows what. The point being, the centralization of Ottawa has continued, often under the guise of helping Canadians, often under the guise of charity or uh, benevolence. And then one day you wake up and it turns out, as you're talking about, all of your autonomy as a province has been taken away or it's been traded away is more accurate. Government didn't use a military. The federal government didn't use a military to take away our autonomy. And and again, by then, it's so difficult to retrieve it. You can do it, but it's it's difficult. It's hard. So that's a good question. And it could it, it could have happened for a variety of reasons. But what history tells us is that it always trends towards that. There's always more centralization. There's always more power that's concentrated in the hands of a few individuals over time. And so, again, it's our job to yeah restrict that as much as possible. And there we have to make some uh, pardon me. We have to make some sacrifices to do that. Because, you know, Tanner, you said it's the government's fault. It's not the people's fault. Mm. And I take heat for this, too. But I I have said on more than one occasion that this is entirely our fault because we haven't been involved. We didn't pay attention. And one day, like you say, we woke up and, hey, what the heck? Why is the federal government controlling everything? It wasn't a slow or a, a quick thing. It's been done over decades. And the reason it's been allowed to happen is because the average person, we're busy trying to survive. You know, in the in the early days of this country, you really were literally trying to survive. You would have to work all summer to make sure that you could make it through a prairie winter. There was no time to, uh, well, very little time to go into political arenas and listen to people speak and and vote on policy and those types of things, right? So we're very distracted with our lives. We're distracted with the television. We're distracted with working the first uh, five months or six months out of the year to pay income tax. Um, to get involved in some of these things. So what I've discovered is even though I'm working 60 hours a week at my business, now I have to make some sacrifices and I have to start getting involved in these things and paying attention, getting up to speed and speaking out because uh, that is, we, we still have a democracy, right? And if we bring enough people and we show up, we can fix these things. We can right these wrongs. We can, we can turn on the bilge pump and, and save, you know, save a sinking economy if we just do the work. Um, but yeah, you know, 
I do, I do take some flack for saying it's our fault, but uh, I think we do need to take some responsibility and be accountable for our, for whatever reason, our, our failure to, to actively participate in democracy and stop the monster before it grew so fat. Yes. No, I'd agree with that. You know, I think it can be both. You have on one hand, a general apathy, you know, it's, it's, it's rather boring to attend many political meetings. It's usually very boring to attend board meetings and to attend council meetings. You're quite correct about that, but you also have government acting uh, unjustly. So no, I think you're right. I think it can be both. Yes. I think you have um, a history of, of, you know, general apathy and trust in government, which is nonsense, right? Government should never be trusted. There's one government that should be trusted and it's Christ government. Um, and, but you also have, yeah, unjust leaders. So you're quite right. The citizens, individuals, Canadians have to make sacrifices. And the best way to resist tyranny is to resist it before it exists, right? It's to stop it before it starts. It's so much easier to do so versus trying to slow it down and, and stop it when it's, when it's running, when it's really cruising down the road. So tyranny, tyranny can't exist when there's people paying attention and opposing it in a mm. democracy. And yeah. uh, Orwell you know, has and, a quote about the, that. Orwell goes all fraud. No, sorry. All tyranny rules through fraud and force. But uh -huh. once the fraud is exposed, he goes, then it has to rely on force. And so a government that lies, that's trying to lie, you're right. If people are paying attention, uh, they'll know the lies when they see them, right? We're seeing this in Canada right now. And then the, the job of us is to make sure it doesn't devolve into force. So yeah, you're right. Yep. Well, the good news there is there's hope and uh, I'm not sure what my, what's up, buddy. I still can't go watch. Oh, the good news is there ho there's hope. And, and really all it boils down to is people just getting involved this fall. Um, as much as I dislike some of the people within the organization, we can get involved and use our voices on some policy and stuff at the UCPA GM. And no, it's not an immediate fix, but uh, it's a start, and I think it's a pretty good start. And if we can keep keep our government on their toes, knowing that, hey, we're paying attention now, and we're not going to put up with this any longer. We're going to start pursuing realistic, uh, realistic options instead of these fairy tales. We can actually, we can actually turn this around. And you know what? It act, when government gets this big, it makes it even harder because when you're when you're you're spending so much time and resources to i think we're taxed at like 70 percent or something now in this country when you add all the layers of taxes up um 70 percent we got to work two-thirds as hard uh, we we have to work 200 percent harder to earn the same amount of money in our pockets than we did before so it just it just compounds and it's an exponential increase. The government gets that fat. It's that much harder for us to for us to get it done. But regardless, we're going to get it done anyway. Um, what so what do you think we need to do, Tanner, to to help this happen? What what is it that we can do to help this uh, initiative make it through in Alberta? Oh, the Alberta pension plan, you mean? Right. Well, obviously, go to that site to start. You know, and 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 voice your your um, opinion, your belief. But I think you're, you said it earlier, you're quite right, where very soon you're going to see a coordinated attack from the NDP and the, and the radical left and so on, particularly aimed at seniors, particularly aimed at those individuals who are desperate for a pension, 
and it will be a fear-mongering campaign. It will be a campaign that is meant to scare every Albertan into the idea that if we emancipate ourselves from the pension plan, then we're going to lose our pensions, or it's going to be a tumultuous ride that would leave seniors freezing in the cold, and et cetera, et cetera. And so I think right now is the job of every every Albertan, and actually the government too, to be honest, to ex- to learn and understand in detail exactly what a new Alberta pension plan means, and then tell as many other people about it as possible to try and alleviate those fears, to try and alleviate those concerns. You know, my message to government would be giver, you know, just just put your head down and 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 give her as hard as you can. But but for Albertans themselves, yeah, it's important to know <laughs> government's so deceptive, right? When when something comes from government's mouth on either side, one has to immediately look for what's true, look at facts, try and discover what's real in order to form a, a belief, a narrative which actually reflects reality. So when the NDP, for example, come to say that you know, if you go to a new Alberta pension plan, seniors, current seniors are going to lose out on their pensions. It's our job to say, actually, that's false. Actually, that's wrong. And you're attempting to deceive a demographic in the population to try and advance your political aims to keep government powerful and strong. So that's the first thing. And then, like you mentioned, the next thing is to be active in politics itself, to not sit on one's hands and simply watch the news, but rather go and make the news. That's far better than watching the news. Making the news is far better than that. So if <laughs> if, if together you can do those things, then, then I believe the Alberta Pension Plan has a phenomenal probability of being passed. I agree. And, you know, the, I, it's, I'm reminded of uh, the last year and some of the things the NDP said. If we pass the Alberta Sovereignty Act within the United Canada, um, Alberta is going to be destroyed. Businesses will leave. It's going to be horrible. It's going to be economic disaster. If the UCP are elected, Daniel Smith is going to sell the hospitals and give up our health care. We're not going to have free health care. Like the lies get so blatant. I I can't even believe that people (laughs) fall for it. They're almost comical. Yeah, the lies themselves become comical. Yes. Is it is it that people some people out there you know, they dislike conservatives or conservatives, conservatism so much that they just want to believe those things. Like it's, it's, I don't understand how we can, uh, well, I mean, you just keep speaking truth, right? But it seems like some of those folks, you just can't reach them. Yes. You know, there's a passage in scripture where, um, the Pharisees are talking to Christ and they're hammering him, you know, saying he's, they're accusing him of this and that the passages in John and Christ, he's almost, you can tell he's frustrated because he's like, you know the scriptures, you Pharisees, you know the entire Torah, you know the Old Testament so well. He says, you know it from front to back. And yet these are the very scriptures that talk about me and you still won't see it. You can't see it. And so it seems like the same thing sometimes happens with politics where people know the truth. They might even know the numbers. They might know what's happening with the pension plan or who knows what. And yet still, for whatever reason, they refuse to see it. They, re- they know they love to remain willfully blind. In part, I think a lot of those individuals, again, um, because they're dependent on government, can't think. I don't mean that as an insult. What I mean is individuals who are economically independent or have, a, have the greatest amount of economic independence can think. You know, they can shake their fist at government and say what you're doing is wrong, right? But when the government has control over them through economics, 
when a man is economically dependent on government, then government has to do all the thinking for him, right? Think about the convoy. So here you have countless millions, or you had countless millions of Canadians cheering the convoy, right? Agreeing with its message, agreeing with its purpose. Of course, you were in Ottawa and so on, right? And then one day government freezes up bank accounts. So you can't access your funds to pay your bills. And all of a sudden a hush fell over Canada because people yeah. weren't so eager all of a sudden to, to either support the convoy or speak out against government because they needed those funds in their accounts in order to pay bills, pay for groceries, pay mortgage payments, and so on and so on. And so I think so many individuals now, again, as a consequence of, of the state that the country's in, as a consequence of economics and high costs, et cetera, have to be dependent on government. They're forced into that, into that dependence. And as such, are a far less likely to, to espouse independent, economic independent views. So I think with that said, it becomes our duty to just be leaders and mm -hmm. pursue the truth and uh, just, just just continue going and, and show people that no, it, it doesn't, you don't have to have to feel that way about it and, and just get it done. So we got yeah. about, we got about 10 minutes and then we'll be at an hour. I'm just going to really quickly go back through some of the questions because we mm -hmm. I always get talking. So I'm long, I'm a longly talker. So I miss questions. <laughs> uh, here is, Oh, and I'm going to remind you folks, go to, um, I'm going to put the link up again. Go to this link. There's a lot of stuff that can be answered on this website. And in addition, if you do the survey on the bottom, it says scroll down to the bottom of the page, it says have your say. It asks you about a lot of these things. What's important to you in, in a pension plan? Is a death benefit important to you? Is it important to have lower premiums or a higher uh, higher uh, pay, monthly payments to pensioners? So you can actually have your say and then that will go to the panel, the fair deal, deal panel. And they're going to take all this information and they're going to outline what it would look like. And then it looks like 2025, they've got a possible referendum on the books for this. So have your say, get to know what it's all about and be ready to answer the question with, uh, inf with being informed. So... This question was answered, I believe, but Deb says, great conversation. Is there a way to prevent any government in power from dipping in the kitty or changing all the rules as they go? Yes. Mm. You show up. You participate in democracy. You go to your CA meetings. You have your voice heard. And you make sure that we're holding our politicians accountable. And don't just leave politics on autopilot as we have for the last 50 years. Yes. What do you think, Tanner? I totally agree. I would compare it to, I've often compared it to a watchman. That is the defense of freedom, and in this case, the defense of uh, sound economic principle often isn't very fun. You know, people tend to have a romanticized version of, of uh, struggle for freedom. In truth, it far more often looks like a lonely watchman on a cold night looking out from his lookout on the castle into the darkness, right? He's looking for people who are coming to try and invade his home. And it might be lonely, it might be chilly, it might be dreadfully boring. But that watchman is critical. And if he fails in his task, then the entire castle is under threat of siege or conquer. In the same way, here you and I know what's happening. Here we are with, with an understanding of what the government is trying to do. Both governments are trying to do. And so it is we have, like watchmen, an obligation to uh, look out and watch and see and scrutinize what our leaders are trying to do. Yeah, and if you don't do that, right, if you kind of close your eyes, and just 
even for a moment, turn away, government will seize that opportunity and they'll use it to take more power quick. Yep. So just show up, folks. Do what we're, uh, you know, actually do what our ancestors fought and died to ensure that we could do. That's what you do. Freedom, there's this big misunderstanding that people fought in wars so that we'd have freedom and wouldn't have to fight for it. That's not true. They gave us the opportunity to continue fighting for freedom in our own way and make sure that it remains. So just do your thing. Just do your part. Um, where there's some more questions here. I j just had it. It was about, uh, the question was, if you paid into CPP in Ontario, you moved to Alberta, what happens? Well, Tanner did answer that before. And and really, right now at the CPP, if you contribute to CPP and you're a pensioner and you move to France, you still get your pension. It's yours. You paid it. it you get it. It doesn't matter where you move. And that would be the same uh, in this case. If you're currently receiving CPP, you've paid into it. It belongs to you. You, you would get that. Yeah. And, you know... This is, you would, but let me just add, you know, again, right now, as it stands, Alberta is paying more into the pension than what we receive. So again, like even suppose, again, I'm not saying this would happen, but suppose that in this, in this um, hypothetical world, Alberta started its own Alberta pension plan and yet received none of the pension that it had paid into the CPP. So it doesn't get any of the money back that it paid into the CPP you would still have enough money to cover current Alberta pensioners, right? Because you're paying more than you're receiving right now. <laughs> you're paying more by at least $3 billion every year. So I'm not, again, you would receive your pension, what you paid into the CPP. But even if in a hypothetical world, you didn't, Alberta on its own would still have more than a sufficient amount of funds to cover all of the pensioners and have some reserved for, for future pensioners. That should be comforting to to a lot of people that are in in the situation where they need that they need that pension money. Uh, here's an interesting comment: Danielle needs to hire you both to travel to seniors' places to talk one on one. <laughs> Great topic and answers. Will there be stops so others can ask? Well, you know what? If uh, the if somebody wants to hire us to travel around and talk about these things, I, I I'm game. But just so you know, folks, I'm planning on. Um, uh, traveling around the province and speaking at Alberta Prosperity Project events. And this, of course, will be one of the topics. As a matter of fact, there's many other groups out there uh, and individuals who have reached out to me and said, hey, you know, we, we don't, we're not aligned on everything. We have different views on certain things, but we agree on this Alberta pension plan. We agree on issues of Alberta sovereignty. Can we do things? Will you come and speak at my events? And I said, Absolutely, 100%. I will go and represent the Alberta Prosperity Project and our mission and our vision for the province. I'll speak about these things anywhere people ask me to, and uh, I'm more than happy to do it. And Tanner, I think uh, you've been you've been doing quite a bit of podcasts. Have you done much uh, traveling around and speaking engagements lately? Yes. Well, in the summer, um, it's never as busy traveling. That's more for podcasts. But then as the fall mm -hmm. picks up, last month was a very busy month for for speaking, whether at the Million Person March or at even at Bibles and Bulls, et cetera, et cetera. Um, mm -hmm. So yeah, I, I'm because I'm independent. It's nice I can speak with whoever and and whenever I want and where I want to go and so on. So if someone asks, I'm usually there. Awesome. 
Peggy asks, if we vote on an Alberta pension plan, do you think it will go through or are there enough of those people to squash it? I'll let you answer that first, Tanner, and then I'll uh, I'll give you the, my take on it. Well, you know what? My take actually is, yeah, even if you even if you held the referendum tomorrow, I'd say yes, it would go through. I don't um, now. Let me be clear. I want to be. I got to remember what the rules are in the referendum. But either way, um, we want to be as secure as possible. That is, you want to make sure you're going to win. But what I want to explain is that I think the opposition to something as logical as this is loud, but very much smaller than what it's they too. think it is claim to be, you know, I was, so I was at the million person March and I spoke, spoke about Daniel and there were here in Lloydminster, there were 700 people who attended or somewhere in that area, 650 to 700 people who attended that, that March. It was fantastic. There were at most 10 counter protesters at most but they had a siren, they had a bullhorn, they had a, a megaphone and they were screeching and they were screaming and they were yelling as loud as they could, things which didn't make sense at all. It was totally nonsensical, but it didn't matter, right? Their point was they were trying to make themselves seem as large as possible, even though they were, they were an exceptionally small crowd, right? Just over 1% of the entire group itself. Um, but they make themselves sound large to try and influence the policies. Now, people didn't fall for it, of course. Right at the march, they did an excellent job of drowning out and ignoring those counter-protesters. But I think the, the reality is the same here in this situation. In many situations, people have common sense. This is a common sense thing to do, a new pension plan. And, and people recognize that. But the radical left is organized, even though they're not as large as they make themselves out to be. And they sound very, very loud. They cause a large ruckus. They cause like a coyotes. Fight. Exactly. Like coyotes. It's exactly right. To try Mangy, and dissuade dirty, people. Uh, I'll stop. <laughs> to dissuade people from, from doing what they know makes sense. So there's another question that came up. And, and I agree with you, Tanner. Um, my role that I think, where, where I, I think my uh, efforts are best served in these regards. And one of the reasons why I didn't enter into politics or run as an MLA or any of that is because I believe that Albertans need to hear the message first. Uh, they need education. And if, if we can educate Albertans as to the facts, as to the reality of these things, it's a no brainer. It's, it's actually, it's very similar to the, the question of a, a referendum on independence for the province. If when we speak to Albertans, and we educate them with the facts and the reality of the situation. It's very, it's a very high, I would say, conversion rate from, uh, you know, a, a federalist to an independence-minded Alberta. Because, like as Tanner said, reality is slapping us in the face. So I think if we if we all do a little bit, and we talk to our friends, we talk to our neighbors, we maybe host an event in our community or whatever maybe invite Tanner to come speak or maybe someone from the Alberta Prosperity Project, whatever. And we get this education out to Albertans. We have a very, very, very high chance of succeeding in creating an Alberta pension plan because the reality of it is very appealing. And uh, the the noisy coyotes that are howling off in the distance, um, you know, their, their howls become much less frightening when we realize there's only two of them. Yeah, And that leads into this question. Uh, Marilyn asks, it, 
if we were apathetic, and I believe that's what led us to where we are, uh, I'm a senior and an Albertan that will lead the charge. So Marilyn is saying that she wants to get involved and do something. She asked Tanner, how do we advise people to protect themselves through this? And I, I'm going to pretend I'm Tanner for a second. And I'm going to say we educate ourselves. Education is the most powerful protection we can offer uh, those around us in these types of conversations. If we're educated as to the reality and the facts, then uh, the the attacks from the other side aren't going to hurt us. Yep, precisely. Completely agree. Huh. Wow, I didn't think I would get it right pretending to be you for a moment, <laughs> but I guess I nailed no, it. No, that's great. Right on. Uh, what do we got here for questions? APP supports APP. Yes. Coincidentally, we share the same, uh, the same name, but the Alberta prosperity project 100% supports an Alberta pension plan. We also support an Alberta police force. We also support an Alberta Immigration Department. We also support uh, Alberta taking full control of every single area in which we have constitutional sovereignty, every single one of them. And uh, I'm not going to speak to all of them right now, but we will do that very soon. Well, I think that kind of wraps up the Alberta pension plan conversation for now. Do you feel like talking about uh, about Nazis at all, Tanner? Whatever you want. If you want to talk about them, if you want to talk about what's happening, I'm always happy to to okay. discuss the dealings of our federal government. I feel like I want to mention it just just quickly because uh, sure. I watched a podcast, someone talking about the parliament inviting Nazis to speak. And I was like, what the heck are they talking about? I thought they were talking about Zelensky. Mm. Because Zelensky was recently in parliament and uh, you know, asking for money to continue warmongering. And I thought, oh, this person is just calling him a Nazi. But no, that's not what happened. We actually had a legit war crime trialed Nazi in parliament. And our parliament gave him a standing ovation. Yeah. What? Two. Two standing ovations. Yes. What the heck? How is it? Oh, and by the way, the Speaker of the House resigned today mm -hmm. over this. Because mm -hmm. I think it was the Speaker of the House that invited him. It was. Well, that's yes. that he's. I mean, he's taken. He's falling on the sword. He's, yeah, but right. What's your take on this? I can't even believe that happened. Well, the first take is: Did no one vet who the House of Commons was honoring during its session? You know, because um, based on the debate that I heard today in the House, that is the Prime Minister's responsibility. How is it possible that so egregious a mistake was allowed to um, slip through? Uh, and and completely embarrass Canada in this particular way, right? I, there are two options. Either the people who are supposed to be vetting those individuals who are being honored at the House of Commons either didn't look at the list and therefore didn't do their jobs and therefore should be fired, or two, they did look, they did see, and yet they didn't care, for which, again, obviously, they should be fired. Now, the actual... During the actual um, ceremony of applause itself, right? You knew from the start something was up, and I'm and it's I'm I'm not astonished, but it's it's indicative of the way our government works that no one sat down or stayed sitting when the announcement was made because the Speaker of the House begins he begins his uh, proclamation of this man 
by talking about how he fought against the Russians in World War II. But any student of history, any student at all, ah, in, yes. in past, in past grade 11 knows mm -hmm. that the Russians fought with the Allies in World War II. Without Russia, there, right, we would have lost, without a doubt, right? That, that, that slow-moving tank, that Russian bear, is in large part what won the war. It was a, right, you look at the Battle of like Stalingrad and stuff, like it's so devastating, it's so horrific. But it was it was critical in order to actually win the war. So right away, people in government should have been alerted that something was off because Russia fought for the Allies. And then after that, of course, they give this standing ovation to this 98-year-old man for his service in World War II. Okay, so now as a Christian, I know that men can repent of their sins and so on. But this man fought for the SS, okay. What I mean to say is they're honoring him for his fight in World War II. So if he was, you know, if he was seriously convicted about his crimes in the war, if he was seriously convicted about fighting for the SS in the war, then he wouldn't have come to Parliament to be honored for his service in World War II. You see how the two don't compute. It would mm -hmm. be like someone honoring Paul for his persecution of Christians before he became a Christian. Paul wouldn't allow that. Of course not. So the entire fiasco is so embarrassing. It's such a disgrace on the House of Commons itself and Canada. If it isn't a reason, yet another reason for Alberta to say we want more independence, I don't know what is. Think of being, you know, suppose you were a foreign leader. Could you imagine looking at the House of Commons right now, looking oh at the Canadian government? Yeah. How could you? So, so who would want to do business with us? Who would want to trade with us? Who would want to be our allies, knowing our government is so incompetent as to give not one, but two standing ovations to this man who fought for the SS and for his fight as an SS member? It's unbelievable. It's just like, like it's so unbelievable. It's borderline miraculous that it, that it even happened. You know what I mean? This, it's so indicative of how incompetent, how grotesquely incompetent our federal government is. It's almost to the point where if you apply, if you apply that uh, that fancy razor, Occam's razor, to this, mm. yeah, and you 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 use the 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 simplest explanation is the most reasonable, or the most reasonable and simplest explanation is the correct one. Mm -hmm. It's almost impossible to believe that it was an accident. I agree. How can that many people do that by accident? Miss it. I and here's here's what I'll I'll put forth. I think that. Just like uh, the federal government's pursuit in this, their crusade against carbon dioxide, it, the truth doesn't matter any longer as long as the as long as what they're saying fits their narrative. And right now, the narrative is Russia is bad. This guy fought against Russia. Russia's bad. He's good, right? Well, that's such a tiny little part of reality when you open your eyes and you zoom out and, and get the proper perspective, that's not true. And that's where we're living right now, where the, you know, the, the facts and reality matter less than the narrative that the government is trying to convince us of. Yes. I think that's the most probable explanation. Precisely. Completely. I completely agree. Everything government does is planned. Everything's careful. You know, it's funny. They, they're simultaneously careful and sloppy. It's, 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 a, it's almost a sort of paradox. But I have no doubt that that there's some, of course, government has a massive overarching agenda they're trying to accomplish. And, and you know, it's, you know, it's good because over the last five years, we've seen a massive increase in the distrust of government. That's a good thing. 
the mainstream media would have you believe that's a bad thing. It's not, right? People are asking questions all of the time. Was this planned? Is this planned? Is this a distraction? Is this just a smoke, you know, a, a, a smoke and mirrors sort of stunt to try and distract from what's happening on the left side? You know what I mean? That's good. That's excellent. Because now people are watching so closely, again, trying to restrain that massive hydra called government for like, even the fact that this happened on the eve of Yom Kippur, not a coincidence. No, not a cow. That's it's, you I, know, it's among the holiest. Missed days, that. You know? Yeah. So wow. it's, yeah. You know, I did a podcast and I said, I'm never ashamed to be Canadian insofar as, you know, I'm proud of my Canadian heritage like you are, but, but I'm a, certainly I'm ashamed of my Canadian government and I'm very ashamed to be associated with them because they're supposed to be the faces of Canada and they aren't. That isn't what Canada is. Justin Trudeau is not what Canada is. His liberal government is not what Canada is. Calling a former SS officer a hero is not what Canada is, obviously. And so in that regard, it's it's absolutely disgraceful what happened. And again, it just it even if it was planned at Gosta, just highlights the incompetence, the utter negligence of government. Yeah. And then it's like, and yet we're supposed to follow them into every situation they want us to go, hey? <laughs> it's like we're supposed to trust them blindly really really it's like all they did during the trucker convoy was call you and 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 supporters and actual convoy protesters you know they said you were associated with that german regime in the 30s and the 40s you had ties to them and you were exercising uh you know certain sympathies and so on and yet here they are openly praising an actual ss officer and we're just supposed to forget that it happened no nonsense nonsense yeah, I think there's going to be a lot more fallout than just the Speaker of the House resigning. This is, mm -hmm. gonna, yep. This is, I hope there is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and and as sad as I am to see this happen, it just it really does add more fuel to the fire. Saying, hey, you know what? We have to stop allowing the Feds to be, you know, to 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 choose our course for us. We cannot allow this any longer. We mm -hmm. have to get off that path because, as we've seen. The, the path our federal government wants to take, even oftentimes when it's a conservative government. I mean, yes. our our, yeah. our hero, Stephen Harper, he signed us on to the Paris Accord because it was a virtuous thing to do with a, mm. you know, with the cool person's club running it and all this. And lo look where it's got us, right? Yes. It, or, it's time yeah. we, we stood up for ourselves and we started acting like the adults in the room. And yes, it's happening. Or, it is yeah, happening. It is like Polly or Polyev's um you know complete support of ukraine like utter support of ukraine in this war and his entire government's or his entire party support that's nonsense that's nonsense it's like look at how opaque the propaganda is from both sides no that's that that you see that stuff and it's like oh it's theater you know what i mean that's where it's like as individuals we have this we have this requirement to be so careful in what we think and to scrutinize absolutely everything and to recognize that man whether a powerful leader or not is still man. He's mortal. Yeah. He's fallen, right? He's, he's, the scriptures are clear. Man is, is sinful. And so there are things which people in power will do that are not good. Even if we think that they're, you know, even, even if they're on quote unquote, our side, our political party, and you have to watch for that. You have to be so careful, so careful not to idolize a man and say, well, because he's good Absolutely. in almost every aspect, therefore he's perfect. Or because yeah. he's good economically, he's also good that doesn't hold that doesn't hold true he says good things mm -hmm. uh yes. sometimes mm -hmm. but the reality is there is only one and has only ever been one benevolent dictator and unfortunately uh, we decided that we wanted to be ruled by man instead 
and demand of the king and we've been paying the price ever since yes um i want to point out folks things are changing and there is hope people are waking up to this they're getting involved they're getting engaged with politics uh right now the ucp agm has become so large it's the largest in history they had to cancel the event at the uh uh, uh the gray eagle casino and now it's being held at someplace substantially larger. Yeah, mm. I think I got an email too. I think it's BMO Center. BMO Center, that's right, yeah. yeah. You know what that means? That means that right now there's like, well, there's I think there's 2,900 people signed up. So I would say probably 2,000 of those are our voices or similar thinking voices, our side, so to speak. That's fantastic. And I hope that number hits 5,000. I hope it hits 6,000. I hope we pack that BMO place and we show these politicians, number one, we're going to start showing up. Number two, we're going to hold you to account, right? And then they can start. And actually, number three, we're going to back you up when you speak the truth because we haven't done that as well. And politicians for far too long have not been able to stand up and speak the truth for fear of being canceled. We need to support them when they speak the truth as well. So, uh, yeah, I've got a lot of hope for that. Um, have you got anything else, Tanner? It was a lot of fun. Yeah, no, I, lo- I love doing uh, podcasts with you. It's always always a good conversation. And tons of comments saying thank you. So, Tanner, thank you very much for, for joining me. Um, oh. People people are very receptive and they're enjoying it. My pleasure. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave you guys and gals with a bit of a thought. I get often asked how I continue on through all these things. Like, how do I, did I stand up with the government, not back down, not take plea deals, just keep going? Is it because I'm brave or, well, stupid? I don't think it's either of those things. I, I'm a man of faith. Uh, I'm a very poor practicing Christian. I'll, I'll, I'll say that. Uh, I'm I'm a bad Christian, which is kind of the point of Christianity in the first place, is that we are we need something better than ourselves. So I'm going to give you my perspective from a kind of a theological standpoint, and then I'm going to give you my secular secular perspective. I believe that everything that happens happens for a reason. I believe there's a plan, and for me, I believe that it's God's plan. And regardless of what happens, whether it's good or bad for me personally, that's the way it was meant to be. Um, and the, the Bible actually specifically says that Christians will be persecuted. We're going to be persecuted. We're going to have hard lives. Uh, it also says to rejoice in knowing that the, the, the word of God is being fulfilled. So when we're persecuted, we're actually supposed to rejoice because that's the way it's written and that's the way it's supposed to be. And, and that gives me hope. On the secular side, for those of you that are saying, oh, how do you believe in some mysterious invisible man in the sky? I understand that not everybody has that that same faith as I do. Even if you just believe in universal balance, good and evil, yin and yang, all those types of things, which I I mean, I don't. But if you do, you, you have to at least know that things happen for a reason and there is a balance. When a bad thing happens, there's going to be a good thing happen. So when bad things happen, you should be hopeful. You should be, you know, happy knowing that good times will come. And we've seen that all throughout history. I don't believe it's because of just the universe doing it. I believe it's because there's a, you know, a higher power that's written this from the beginning. But either way, don't give up hope and don't be discouraged and don't get into that dark place where you just think, 
oh, the world's going to hell in a handbasket. Because no matter which side of the fence you're on, from a theological point of view or from a universal balance point of view, things will work out the way they're supposed to be. And every time we go through something that's difficult, a tribulation or whatever, we should be rejoicing, uh, knowing that on the other side, something better waits for us. So that's the tiny little bit of wisdom that I wanted to leave you with. And uh, Tanner, if you have anything to say on that, I'll let you have the last word, which I never do. So that means that uh, I, really, I really like you. Well, I guess if you are, if you were to ask me the same question, yeah, how do you keep hope? Yeah, my answer is I, I believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. We know how the story ends. I've read Revelation. People, everyone should read Revelation. I've, see, I've, I've read about his resurrection from the dead. I believe in his resurrection from the dead. And as a consequence, all of these politicians, as powerful as they might seem, as ferocious as they might seem, are nothing compared to the Lion of Judah. And so what fear have we as Christians to stand before them? It's, 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 we have no fear at all because it's not really us standing before them. right? It's the Lord Jesus Christ in front of me um, who, who takes the brunt of their attacks and certainly deflects it. Uh, with all the power and might that's been given to him according to his resurrection. And so as a consequence of that, I have this magnificent, splendid hope that what we're doing is going to be um, fruitful. It's going to flourish. Absolutely, it's going to flourish. And and in the process, our conscience is cleared uh, because of it. That is, we're fighting for what's right. We're fighting for what's just, and we're fighting for what's true. And we have a command to do so. So with all of that, I have, you know, as dark as things might seem sometimes, and as foolish as government can seem sometimes, this magnificent hope continues to burn so brightly. Absolutely. Our, uh, our constitution is based on the rule of law and the supremacy of God. And yes. yes. At least one of those things will stand up to the truth every time. So. Mm -hmm. It will. Oh, shoot. I said more words. I said I was going to give you the last word. Oh, well, <laughs> maybe. Better luck next time. <laughs> all right folks thank you very much and again tanner thank you stay tuned because i've decided that i'm going to do a lot more of this and i'm going to bring a lot more guests on as much as i can because there's a lot of work to be done and people are hungry for knowledge and knowledge is power and with that power we can change the world and we will change the world so let's do it together and let's have fun while we're doing it amen night everybody Alberta's government is exploring a new possibility, an Alberta Pension Plan, or APP for short. You might be wondering, what's in it for you? You see, in 2020, Alberta's government commissioned LifeWorks, an independent third-party consultant, to review the potential for an Alberta Pension Plan. Their analysis found many benefits for Albertans. That's because Alberta's young working population and more jobs with higher wages has resulted in Albertans over-contributing tens of billions into the CPP compared to the benefits we've received. This means that Albertans could save over $5 billion in just the first year if we moved from the CPP to an Alberta pension plan. These savings could increase each senior's monthly pension payment or even provide a large bonus payment for seniors at retirement. Or, these savings could be used to save Alberta workers up to $1,425 in payroll deductions every year.
And if you're a business owner, small, medium, or large, an APP could reduce the premiums you pay each year by up to $1,425 per employee. Along with more money in your pocket, an APP would be more stable than the current CPP. An asset transfer of over $300 billion from the CPP to an APP would mean a more secure pension for Albertans. And agreements would be developed to allow Albertans to move throughout Canada without impacting their pension benefits. To be clear, there will be no move to an Alberta pension plan unless Albertans approve it in a referendum. It's your pension, your choice. So learn more and have your say at albertapensionplan.ca.